my name is Brett Schmidt. Uh, Willie and Katie are in Florida right now. They're speaking at a, a campus retreat there, kind of like we had our campus retreat last week. Um, and normally I'd take Florida over Kansas in October, but man, this past weekend has been, this past week has been amazing. So, um, coming from Texas, you don't get trees like this and all that, so I love it. Um, so today, we'll get the slides up there if we can. Well, we're going to talk about Stephen. So Stephen the Martyr. Um, Stephen is my middle name, so I have a special uh, place in my heart for Stephen. Um, it's also my dad's name, too. But Stephen was an awesome guy, and I'm going to make three points today that he was prepared, passionate, and that he had perspective. So if you're in Acts 6, we're going to start there in verse 8. It says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and elders of the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs of Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked him, Are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers and sisters, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and he will go to the land I will show you. We'll stop there. So before this, this is the early first century church, before this, there's a problem. The, the Grecian Jews and the Hebraic Jews... The Grecian Jews, the Greeks, in their origin, they said that our widows were not being taken care of like the Hebraic Jews were. So they brought this before the, the, the apostles, and the apostles were like, well, we're going to focus on teaching and preaching, but we're going to delegate this to seven deacons they appointed. And kind of the chief among these deacons was Stephen. So, and Stephen goes out, and he's preaching and teaching, and many times, as you preach and teach, you're opposed and debate, right? With the freedmen here. And, and I love in verse 10, it says, But they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Isn't that cool? Like you're in a debate and they just, everyone just knows you win, right? Maybe Mitch feels that way in his debates. <laughs> Be on Mitch's team, you'll win. Karn's a good debater too. Um, in this Acts 6, by my count, six times just in Acts 6, it's mentioned that he was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Isn't that cool? Just in one chapter, you're missing you're full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. It's almost like, man, I get it. Like, they keep saying it about it. You're full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And so he's brought before this Sanhedrin. I don't know if you guys can see that picture very well. But he goes and he stands up, and he's essentially on trial. And he presents the, the history of Israel from, from Abraham to Moses all the way through to a little bit Solomon at the end. And in Acts 7, it's like this 51-verse Monologue. So I imagine he's just a great speaker, right? He comes up. He's got the face of an angel. Everyone's looking intently at him. And 
But he was on trial at the same place where Jesus stood, depending on who you talk to, a few months or a few years before. And what he was up against was the Sanhedrin was essentially like the, the Supreme Court for the Jews. And there were the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes of the law. A lot of these were Pharisees. And in order to be a Pharisee, Pharisee means that you were a separated one, right? So you were different than others. And that it was this, it was this closed, prestigious community. And when joining to be a Pharisee, there was like a month to a year, like probational period, where you were tested and you were watched. And could you uphold the ceremonial washings? Or can you, do you know all the, the words of the law? And, and you had to be qualified to be this Pharisee. They were, you had to know the 248 <coughs> commandments, which were added to the original 10, which is part of the problem with the Pharisees. And you had to know the 365 prohibitions, the things that you couldn't do, right? So there's all these things you had to know as a Pharisee. Now I say this because these people were, yes, self-righteous, but they were professional scholars who just knew their stuff. They knew what they are talking about in their realm. And they, at the time, the religious day and age, they were the ultimate authority of the law. This wasn't like a, a club this was something that was their life. And these are the people that Stephen is standing before, just like Jesus did. So this seems like a tall task, right? Be a little nervous, stand before. Be a little nervous, stand up here. I can't imagine everyone's against me looking around at me, right? But many times, if we look at our religious world and what we face, it's a little daunting as well. You know, there are about... 2,500 different denominations of Christianity today. 2,500. More or less when you talk to. And if you go to those denominations, there's, you go to a different church, you'll find a different way to be saved, essentially. There are so many ways of being saved, so many ways to get to heaven. There's this rise of individualism that, well, I want to choose the church. I'm going to go church shopping. I want to choose the church based on what fits me best. Why are they different? Shouldn't it just be from the Bible? But this, I, I like this. This feels nice. Ooh, I like the way that person speaks. I like that. And the church will cater to that, too. I don't, I'm not going to talk about sin today because that turns people away. You know, the U.S. population right now, according to yesterday, uh, is 327 million. Um, and of that, the U.S. Christian population is about 70% of that. And it's going down. Um, and when I think about that, 70%, it, it seems like a lot, especially when you look at the world. But that, that 70%, people in those 70% were the same people 2 a.m. at Mass Street last night. And, and a lot of people, when, when people are seeking and looking for a relationship with God, they see hypocrisy yeah. in Christianity. There's a lot of hypocrisy. And, and that leads to a tainted version of who Jesus was and whose disciples are. And, and this turns a lot of people away who are seeking purpose and seeking God. So why do I say all this? Stephen was facing something, and so are we. I say this because there's a lot of false and watered-down Christianity today. It's just the fake stuff. It's like the off-brand. Just, just not quite the same. So therefore, we need all the more 
to know our Bible and know what the scriptures say. No, a lot of times for me, I can like I can reference the scripture in my head. Maybe some of you guys can do this too. But I can't like actually say, "Oh, it's in Philippians three, You know, I know it says in my in my head. I can like get the gist of it. <coughs> know the scripture. Know where it is too. Go to the source and be prepared, just like Stephen was. Don't just let's be different than mainstream Christianity. Kind of just like, ugh, can't stand it because it's not real. It's watered down. Let's be real. We gotta know what we believe and why we believe it. Because eventually it's gonna be put to the test. Someone's gonna come up to you and ask, dude, why aren't you sleeping with your girlfriend, man? Come on. Everyone's doing it. Dude, why do you go to church Sunday morning? Can't you just read your Bible by yourself? And you're gonna have to know why. Otherwise, it's not gonna be a conviction, it's not gonna be something you stick to at all. Are you prepared to answer? You know, to be honest, this semester in the campus ministry has been a little bit of a roller coaster. <laughs> um, we've had some awesome things happen, like like Nick share, people get baptized, people seeking God, and really a lot of people sacrificing them. And I'm so proud. Yeah. Um, but we've had some some dear friends decide that they want to walk away, and they don't want to put up with sound teaching anymore, or sound doctrine doctrine, and that's kind of in a way, rocked a lot of people's faith. And that's hard when you have someone you care about that decide to leave. And, and what's cool, it's funny, uh, Mitch doing Contribution Day, but Mitch kind of took it on himself that he wanted to um, basically make this pamphlet about baptism. It's not a pamphlet, it's like 75 pages, you said something like that. <laughs> you have to have like a PhD to read it or something. But, um, but he decided he wanted to make this description of what baptism is so we can get stronger and be prepared in our faith. Yeah. And I think that's cool because that's taking a step further, not just for himself, but how can I help others and prepare others as well so that we can live by what the Bible says above all else. I think that's, that's awesome. A few months ago, there was a Russian couple. I don't know if you remember them, but they're from Omsk, Russia. Oh, I think I said the right. Omsk. It's like a beat. Omsk. Um, had to, sorry. Um, and, uh, and they came and, and they played this game. We were sitting at Chipotle. And they said that they played this game where we're going to mention a scripture, kind of like I said earlier. And, um, and we'll like mention, we'll just kind of quote it. And then the first person to say where it's at and what verse it's in, it's their turn. And then they do it and so on and so on. So it's a game. First person to get it. Um, and this is their second language. And they were schooling us. Like, everyone but Deanna. Deanna was a boss. She's got everything. But they were just, they were killing us. And I remember thinking, if I would go to Russia, first time I'm a Russian, I have a Russian sister, actually. But how would I fare? I can't even fare better than my own native language. And it was kind of convicting. Like, how Bible literate am I? How Bible literate are you? You know, I, I imagine... Stephen's relationship with God was, was pretty strong. I mean, it said he had the face of an angel, right? I don't think that happens if you don't have a strong relationship with God. And, and I imagine Stephen having these deep and impacting times with God. He's praying, he's pouring his heart out. So it makes the question, how are your times with God? Pretty simple question. Do you even get times with God anymore? Or do you just kind of leech off of others? we got to have, we got to go to the source, you got to have your own time with God. I believe, and me personally, 
that my, my deepest convictions, my real ones, are built when I have to wake up real early at like 6 a.m. before an appointment or something. I have to sacrifice sleep, and that's where those deep convictions are built. Maybe 6 a.m. is not early for some reason. I see Aaron's laughing. He's like, oh, 6 a.m. Or maybe that late night prayer time where something's just stewing in your heart. I got to go out and I just got to pray it out. For me, those are where the deep convictions are are built, and God is molding me. And and when we look at Stephen, we'll all remember Acts 6 and 7, right? When he stands up, he's the first Christian martyr. We'll read about that in a second. But I believe that God was was molding him way before that. So are you letting God mold you right now? Are you going after being molded? Sometimes it's not fun to be molded, to be pushed and prodded. But are you going after being molded? And are you preparing right now? So let's be prepared to stand up for righteousness and sound teaching. And be prepared to answer and give a why we follow Christ. The second one is Stephen was passionate. So Acts 7, 51 through 53 is what we're going to read. You guys with me? (laughs) All right. In verse 51. Prepare yourself. It says, You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed the one, they even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. (laughs) So like I said before this, he goes on this long speech, and he goes through the history of Israel. He goes through their history, which they're well, they know of, they're well informed of. And then he just digs in. You stiff-necked people. It's like, wow. It's almost like he butters them up with this long speech and then just like, then just roasts them. And takes them. And it gets me excited. It gets me kind of fired up. And, and for, for Stephen, it, you know, it wasn't enough that they would persecute and kill those who predicted Jesus coming. But he says, now you've even killed God himself. The guy that you were waiting for, for years, and preparing for it, now he's gone and you killed him. And, and I imagine Stephen standing here, and Jesus had stood in that same spot where Stephen was just before that. Stephen went in. He was passionate. What are you, what are you passionate about? What's the first thing you thought of? Mine's probably sports. I'm passionate about sports. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's school. What gets you excited? Like the thing you talk about, we kind of like a, a gleam in your eye. Like, oh yeah, I can't talk about that. Let's go. I can't wait. You know, I'm going to read three stories here about people who are driven by their passion. You're going to know who these people are. Um, so as I read, I want you to think who these people are. So when he was 14 years old, his father lost his job and his family had rough times. They moved into a Volkswagen van on a relative's lawn. At age 15, he performed his comedy routine on stage for the first time. In a suit, his mom made him, and he totally bombed it. He was, but he was undeterred. The next year, at 16, he quit school to focus on comedy full-time. He moved to L.A. shortly after, where he would work on Mulholland Drive every night 
where he would park a Mahon drive every night and visualize his success. One of these nights, he wrote himself a check for $10 million for acting services rendered, which he dated for Thanksgiving 1995. Just before that date, he hit his payday with Dumb and Dumber. He put the deteriorated check, which he kept in his wallet the whole time, in his father's casket. You guys know who that is? Jim Carrey, yeah. So I heard some other names too, so some of you didn't get it. Um, next one. She had just gotten a divorce, was on government aid, and could barely afford to feed her baby in 1994, just three years before her first book, The Philosopher's Stone, was published. When she was shopping it out, she was so poor, she couldn't afford a computer or even the cost of photocopying the 90,000-word novel. So she manually typed out each version to send it to publishers. It was rejected dozens of times until finally Bloomsbury can't wait. Like, oh, I just can't wait till I have my next quiet time and spend time with God. Or if you're passionate, does it, does it burn within you when you sin? Because you realize that my sin puts Jesus on the cross. Does it burn within you? Can you not help but scream from the rooftops what he did for you? If you're passionate about Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're nervous on campus to reach out or you're nervous at your workplace. You talk to someone. Because you think, man, if someone didn't talk to me, where would I be in my life? That's what you do when you're passionate. Is that you? Or, there's some things I hear a lot. You know, I, I just didn't go to Devo because I was tired. I had a long week. I don't need to spend time with the body. I was just tired this week. Or, my sin isn't that big of a deal. I mean, I just, I just looked at her. I didn't touch, right? I mean, look at all the people that are doing this stuff outside. Like, they're doing this. They're bad. I'm not that bad. I just looked, not touched. You know, reaching out makes me uncomfortable. I don't like it. Because, honestly, things are, like, cool with that person right now, and I don't want to make it awkward. And we got a good vibe going. It makes it awkward. What would Jesus say about your passion for Jesus? What would Stephen say about your passion for Jesus? If he saw you and he, he walked around and looked at your life, what would he say about your passion for Jesus? Is even there? I think some of us, it's kind of non-existent, to be honest. And I could be there as well. Because when you said Jesus is Lord, it meant that your number one passion would be Jesus. If I'm uncomfortable, whatever. If I'm tired, I still got to seek the body. That Jesus is number one in my priorities and number one in my passion. And then finally, the third one is Stephen had perspective. So we're going to be in Acts 7. I'm going to read 54 through 60. All right. So this is right after what we just read earlier. It says, when they heard this, they were furious, and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. 
When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there, giving approval to his death. So this points perspective, and how Stephen had perspective. And I, I couldn't help but point out the man that is kind of orchestrating behind the persecution of Christians here, Saul, would go on to write the majority of the rest of your Bible here. So I, I would be remiss if I, an idea of perspective and a point about perspective didn't point out that God is always working, you know? And maybe it's your family, maybe it's, I don't, I can never see them becoming Christians, I've worked so hard, spent all this time, God is always working. He was the number one one of the number one guys that were out there killing Christians, going door to door. And he goes on and he writes most of the rest of the New Testament there. If that's not perspective, I don't know what is. So the scenario, it's kind of absolute chaos. Like, it's a full-on temper tantrum. It says they gnash their teeth at him. It's like a zombie, right? Like, how do you gnash your teeth? Like, they're gnashing their teeth. It's gross. They're, they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices. Like, when is that socially acceptable to ever do that? Like, you cover your ears and yell at the top of your voice while you're gnashing your teeth. It's gross. And then they take Stephen and they, they drag him out of the city. They take him and drag him out of the city. And then they stone him. They pick up large rocks and they start to stone him. Stephen's reaction to this is he looks up to heaven. He prays for himself. What's even more crazy, he prays for the very people that are stoning him. You know, in the midst of his own death, Stephen still kept his gaze fixed above. In the midst of, I mean, just imagine the pain. Some of the people you probably knew, a lot like Jesus, and they're just stoning him. Stephen's eyes were up. You know, it reminds me, my, the best coach I ever had, her name was uh, Coach Dittmar. She's my track coach in cross country my junior and senior year. And I had this bad habit of when I would run, I, when I get tired, my, my shoulders would slump and I would look down. And uh, what that would do is I would, I would lose sight of the race and I would get detached from whoever's in front of me and I would start to slow down. My cadence would go down. Um, so, I could just like hear her voice in my head still. Um, I'd be going around the track and she'd always be at the same spot. And she'd yell, Brett, head up, head up. Or Schmidt, head up, head up. And, and as I'm running, what that would do is I would then pick my head up and my chest would go out. And then I'd get more oxygen. And then my stride length and my stride frequency would increase as well. And also be aware of where the race was. And I'd be like, oh, you know what? That guy that's here in the midst, he's not so far away, and I would have a goal. And I would then I'd get re-engaged in the race, and despite the pain, I was in it again. And whenever I'd keep my head up, I'd have a better race. Whenever I'd have a bad race, the pictures would be like, <laughs> gnashing my teeth. And, but when my head was up, I always had better races, so she would always yell, head up. It's funny, when you're running, you just like forget everything else, so you think I'd learn over time, but I had to be like reminded during the race. But that would help me, because I would fix my gaze above, and I would think about my race in general, and I'd always do better. So that makes me think, as I apply it to my life, you know, when, when things get crazy, when I'm focused right here, I'm like, I just got to get through this day, got to get through this week. 
Do I fix my eyes up? Do you fix your eyes up? Are you looking to eternal things? Do you keep the perspective like Stephen did? You know, don't get so, for me, i got to remind myself, don't get so worked up over things that are, at the end of the day, just going to be dust. You know, dust to dust. Who cares how much money I make? My car's not $20,000. But anyone else think that? I'm like, I wish my car was $20,000. Brand new, brand new. But don't get so worked up over things that are just going to be dust at the end of the day. So I got a question. And think about this, seriously. Right now, what are you doing that has eternal significance? What are you doing on a day-to-day basis, maybe this past week, that will echo into eternity? Are you in a Bible study? Are you learning how to be a godly husband or wife? Are you learning how to raise your kids so they grow up to be Christians? Because a lot of things that we can get caught up in, they just really don't matter in the end. They don't have any eternal ramifications. My senior year of, of college, um, I was, it's funny because I was, I grew up a kingdom kid. I was baptized at 15, and so I was a disciple all throughout college. Um, even my decision to go to college was based on a ministry that was strong and where I could have good uh, spiritual foundation. And... All throughout college, people would ask me, Brad, are you interested in ministry at all or <laughs> doing any of that? I was like, heck no. Like, no way. I'm going to go out and do my thing, start my business, make money, all this stuff. But I'm still going to, like, I was still going to be a disciple and be a Christian. And I, and I could have done that. Um, but I remember, I, I don't know what it was, but I got a few calls. I remember Willie called me out of the blue one time. And then um, a few people from Texas as well. And, and God started to kind of work on my heart. Well, maybe if I've got this opportunity, maybe people believe in me, I'll pray about it. Okay, I'll pray about it. Let's see if God wants me to do this and go into ministry and work with college students. And, um, and I kept praying. I remember praying, like, I did this, like, 30-day prayer challenge. And day one, I woke up. The next morning, I'm like, what the heck? Why am I even considering this? This is crazy. And then day 30, it was like a turnaround. I was like, I'm 99% sure I want to do this. I don't know how to describe that except that God was working in my heart. But one of my biggest takeaways and one of my biggest reasons when people ask me, why do you work in ministry? Is that it was an opportunity for me to make an eternal impact. That, that I can meet people like, like Karn. And I can meet people like Nick and Wes and, and Dewan and, and guys that like I wouldn't have met before. And I can be in reach out, and I can have Bible studies, and I can have discipling times, and, and then they can have those with people, and then they can baptize their family, and their family can impact other people, and, and yes, I could have done this as getting a job somewhere, but I couldn't devote the time that I could to right now, and, and I'm grateful because at my point in life, it's an amazing opportunity. I say it's like, it's like college part two without school. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. But I'm so blessed to be able to meet men and women in the campus ministry and be able to have an impact and just be used by God. And I hope you're doing the same thing with your life as well, in your workplace, in school, with whatever stage in life you're at. But what are you doing right now that has an eternal significance? 
In Ephesians 6, verse 12, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, if you're so worried about the fight here, you aren't going to win the fight to get up there. If you're so worried about the fight here and now, you're not going to be thinking about eternal things. You're not going to win that fight. So my question is, where, where is your battle? Maybe ask your spouse. It might be a more uh, truthful answer, they tell you. Where is your, where's your battle? What battles are you fighting? Ask your roommate. Hey, bro, what do you see in my life? Do I have an eternal perspective? Where's your battles? What battles are you fighting? Are they worldly or are they eternal? I want to challenge you. Fight the eternal battles. Fight the ones that matter. You know, Jesus was, or Stephen was fighting an eternal one. And I bet you if you asked him, maybe one day in heaven we can ask him, do you regret it? No way. He's so happy. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who wins the midterm elections. I know that craziness is upon us right now. Doesn't matter who raises the, the trophy. Doesn't matter who makes the most money. But this is a mantra I, I kind of try to live by. Is it matters if you get to heaven and you bring as many people with you. Right? Doesn't matter what car you have. It matters if you get to heaven and you bring as many people with you. I encourage you to fight the eternal battles and have that perspective. So in closing, I hope you're inspired by Stephen, just like I was. Stephen's awesome. And that you are inspired by his preparation to stand up, by his passion for Jesus. He's passionate. And by his eternal perspective. So let's say a prayer as we close. Dear God, thank you for examples of men of character in the Bible like Stephen, God. I pray that um, that we can just get something from the scriptures today, get something from his life, and that we can be motivated to be prepared, to have passion uh, for you, for the right things, and, and just to fight the, the eternal battles, the ones that matter, God. I pray that I can get to heaven at the end of the day and, and bring as many people with me. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.